welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Um, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 6. If not, we'll, we will have it on the screen. Um, we're in a sermon series right now. It's just a short sermon series, a four-week sermon series on <clears throat> the four cups. And when we talk about the four cups, what we mean is the four cups of a Jewish Passover. So um, the last meal, the last supper that Jesus had with his disciples was a Passover meal. And uh, he would have had there at the table, he would have had four um, cups of wine. And the reason why they have four cups of wine is because each cup represents or stands for a promise of God to the Jewish people that God made through Moses back when the Jewish people were in, enslaved in Egypt. And um, God gave those four promises to his people, <clears throat> but I believe that those four promises are timeless. They're not just uh, relegated to a moment in history where, uh, where we read about it in Exodus 6, but it is the word of God and it is the nature of God to give us these four things. And so I want to cover uh, each of these things over the next, um, I guess we've got three weeks, two weeks after today. Um, so if you have a Bible, if not, we will have Exodus 6 up here on the screen. And um, yeah, let's turn there. Oh, huh. My, I'm just saying, oh, because my notes just disappeared. So all right, I'm going, going without notes, people. It's a good thing, it's a good thing I've actually studied. Uh, Exodus, <laughs> Exodus, Exodus 6. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that I actually studied? <clears throat> Exodus 6, uh, verses 6 or 7. God says to Moses, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will... Can everybody say that together with me, the first promise? I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. We talked about that last week. That's the first cup. That's the promise of God to bring us out from under the yoke or the bondage or the burden of sin. And so, man, last week, um, uh, just as we were closing, you know, asked for people to raise their hands if they needed God to bring them out from under something. And uh, a lot of us uh, were raising our hands and the wind, the wind's just blowing, right? There's not like kids running into the back wall. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Rocky's not pounding on it or anything. Um, that God has a promise for us to bring us out from under uh, the bondage to sin. So if you're here today and you have sin, reoccurring sin, you have sin in your life that you're in bondage to, that you, you are under the weight of that, God will bring you out. and say, how does God do that? Well, by faith. You put your faith in Jesus. That when you believe, he saves us, he rescues us from the bondage of sin. That happens in a moment. It happens instantaneously. He says, therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And let's read the second one together. I will free you from being slaves to them. That is the second cup. That's the second cup of wine. That's the second promise of God. I will free you, he says, from being Slaves. The Jews call these the four I wills because these are four different times when God says he, that he will do something. He obligates himself to us. And he says, I will bring you out. That has to do with your location, right? Your geography. I will bring you out from under the, the burden of the Egyptians. Then he says, I will free you from being. The second cup has to do with your identity. The first cup has to do with your location, under the weight of sin. The second cup has to do with your identity. Uh, I will free you from being slaves. Because just because the Israelites got out of Egypt doesn't mean that Egypt got out of them. Right? Uh, just because you've been freed from under the weight and the burden of the sin in your life doesn't mean that you have yet to re realize or discover the identity that you are no longer a slave. Right? So if you, if you, if you, if you take uh, the, the Israelites, they were slaves for 400 years. That means their parents were slaves, their grandparents were slaves, their great-grandparents were slaves. They were enslaved to Egyptian bondage for 400 years. And you immediately take them out, as God did, 
You have a group of people, yes, who are not under the burden of the Egyptians anymore, but they still in their minds are slaves. They still in, the, in, in, in their heart, they still see themselves when they, when they look in the mirror. It's all right. You can talk back to the pastor. That's, 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 that's how we roll at City Chapel. We're not, this isn't a Presbyterian church. This is, this is all good. It, it, it's not it, in, in, in their heart. And we see this actually play out as you read the, the, the book of Exodus, where God takes the people out and they continually act like slaves would act. They are a chosen generation, right? They are, they are a group of people that God has chosen for his own. He said, out of Egypt, I called my son, right? And so they are his, his child. They are his precious apple of his eye, right? They are his people, but... They, they haven't realized within their heart, within their mind, who they really are. And so some stuff can follow with us. Even after you're freed from the bondage of sin, sometimes some stuff can, can continue with us. And so today I want to, to talk to you about, and I guess this is my sermon title, but it's really two things that I need to talk to you about. First of all is what you see or what we see. I want to talk to you about what you see, but I also want to talk to you about what the sea sees. So I hope that's not too confusing. But we're going to talk to you about what you see and then what the sea sees. You need to, you need to rightly understand what you see, and then you need to also be able to see what the sea sees. I'll get into that in a minute. This is not a Dr. Seuss sermon. This is why I needed my notes to make sure I didn't get all tongue-tied tongue and twisted, but there you go. Uh, first of all, what, like, what do you see? Well, well as, as God brings us out, as, as we drink of the first cup of salvation, he brings us out into, and, and he wants to give us this cup where he frees us from being slaves. The Jews call this the cup of deliverance. And so, and so he's bringing us from the cup of salvation and he wants to give us the cup of deliverance, but first he has to let us see some stuff. Because you be delivered if you don't realize that you need to be delivered. So, so, if you, so usually when you first get saved and you first put faith in Jesus, it's, it's really great. You have a lot of just joy and energy and happiness and wow, you never knew life could be so good and so, so light. The weight of the burden of sin is lifted off of your shoulders and it's, you're skipping through the tulips, you know. Has anybody been saved for five minutes before? All right, cool. Uh, Tiffany has been. Okay, all right. So, so, so that's kind of your experience. And that's, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to feel like when the people of Israel left Egypt, man, it was a party. Like it was like for the first time in their life and really in generations, they were being allowed to leave on their own free will. Up until that point, if they wanted to wake up, like they, they had to get permission when to wake up. They were told when to wake up, told when to go to sleep. They were told when to eat. They were told when to have recreation time. They were slaves. They were told what to do with their money. They didn't really have any money. They, were, they, they weren't paid for their services. They weren't able to save for a future. They weren't able to climb any kind of ladder. They weren't able to plan. They weren't able to even have a family unit the natural way you would have a family unit because slave owners would, would often bust that up and break that up. And so slavery, so for the, for the first time, in, in 400 years, God said, okay, he opened the door and he allowed them to leave. And they started, I imagine, sheepishly walking out. And there was about, uh, most scholars say, between one and three million of them at this point. And so they're all coming out of their houses, getting into the streets. They all lived in the same ghetto. And because that's where, that's where the Egyptians kept them, uh, away from them, right? And over there, because that's, the, that's where the slaves stay. So, and so they're all coming up. It's, 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 it, 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 it's almost like some of the stuff you read about, like Auschwitz, you know? where it's like some of the people crawling on their hands and knees from the back of the, of the slave camps. It, it, like it must have been a, an amazing, uh, awful sight to behold of all these wounded, all these crippled, all these broken people. And, and they're all sort of making their way out of Egypt. And as they're going, so they come out of the ghetto and then they come into the nice part of town where all the Egyptians had their nice houses. And the Bible said that the Egyptians actually gave them extra stuff. <laughs> Like, hey, uh, we haven't paid you in 400 years. Here's a little, here's a little bit. Here's, take this little something. And so these guys have to be absolutely overwhelmed. Not only have they never been paid for anything in their life, now they're getting all this extra stuff. They're getting burdened down with like gold and silver. So they've been burdened down by 
for now that they've put their faith in God and God has saved them. They're now receiving riches that they haven't even earned. They haven't even fought for. And that's what salvation is, where Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He gives us salvation. We walk out of slavery and we are now sons and daughters of the living God. And it doesn't even make sense that we got into this family because we don't even deserve this. And we're, we're, we're kind of like just broken humanity, walking out of the ghetto, out of, our, out of our brokenness, out of our slavery into freedom. It's a beautiful picture. And they're, they're, they're walking, and the Bible says that God led them. He led them by a cloud. There was a cloud in the sky, like a big cloud, I don't know. And they saw the cloud, and Moses said, guys, that's God. <laughs> sure, of course it is. And we're going to follow him. Okay, cool. And so they began to follow the cloud. And if you read through Exodus uh, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, up until 14, you'll see the journey that they take. They come out of Egypt, and God delivers them and rescues them with a mighty hand and, and 10 plagues, right? He pulls them out, and they come walking out of Egypt boldly, the Bible says. They're, now they got all this gold. They have all this silver. They have a new name. They have a new identity. They're moving out. And, 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 and then the Bible says that they made a little turn. And it's interesting, I, I was trying to find a, a map, but I, I, didn't, I didn't get one to put up on the screen. But, but if you could look at a map, you would see, because, because the Bible says there in Exodus, it says you would think that we would go the northern route, which is a straight shot, because they're going from Egypt to the promised land, which is Canaan. In between those two is a big desert, right? So you don't want to hang out in the desert too long because there's not a lot of resources there. So you would think they would just go straight. You'd think the cloud would just go straight from Egypt to Canaan. And they knew the way to Canaan. Moses certainly knew the way to Canaan. He'd already been there, spent half his life there. And so the cloud is leading them, and they're like, all right, we're, we're going to Canaan. This is great. And all of a sudden, the cloud makes a sharp right turn. Now, at that point, you know, some people were probably like, uh, it's probably just a cloud. <laughs> we thought it was God. Apparently the wind changed and clouds drifted as they do. But Moses says, no, that's still God. We're going this way. Now it seems like it's a little crazy because no, we need to go that way. But God intentionally delays their progress. He intentionally turns them to the south toward deeper into the desert. So the desert is, is, is shaped kind of kind of like a like like an oval I guess and 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 they're coming out of Egypt and then God sends them down deeper into the desert and so here's here's my first intro this isn't really my point but but if but the cup of deliverance begins with dependence on God the prerequisite for deliverance is dependence that right there that's 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 worth your whole trip you just write that down, put it in your mirror. When you wake up in the morning, read that. <laughs> Deliverance depends on, de on dependence. God, God gives them their first test. He doesn't go the way they think they should go. Because here's the deal. Just because you're free doesn't mean you call the shots. <laughs> Freedom doesn't mean I'm now in charge of my life. No, God wants to still lead them. Now, he's not going to drive them like their former slave masters. He's going to lovingly beckon them. He's going to call them. He's going to go in front of them, before them. He's going to make a way for them. And he's going to direct them. He's not going to force them. And so now, for the first time in 400 years, they're faced with a choice. Do I want to do what I want to do, or will I follow the cloud down south? And so Moses says, man, we're following the cloud. And so Moses and Aaron, they're out in front. One to three million people are behind them. And slowly, I imagine they all just kind of look that direction and turn this direction. And okay, all right. And so, and so they're making their way down south. Because at the same time that they're making their way down south, a little something else is happening. Back in Egypt. So I, I, I want us to read this passage together, uh, found in Exodus 14, um, starting at verse 5. It says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, in other words, that they weren't coming back, Pharaoh and his officials charged, uh, changed their minds about them. 
and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Notice, notice that it was the services that they, they, were, they were concerned about. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. Uh, Pharaoh took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Harath, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Look at what they said. They said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the de this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? <laughs> Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this desert. <laughs> now, the, 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 the setup for the story happened prior to this verse where God led them down south and led them to a barrier to the Red Sea. This is a large body of water that they can't cross. And so they did what anybody does, I guess, when the cloud is leading you and the cloud stops by a Red Sea. They set up camp. They camped out. Their kids splashed around in the water, I imagine. Did a little swimming, did a little bathing. Isn't this great? God brought us to the beach. <laughs> and I think it was for three days that they're hanging out there. All the while... Pharaoh's getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until finally and there's the entire army of Egypt coming for them. And this is when they freak out. <laughs> this is when they say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This was all Moses' idea. Moses and theirs, those guys. We never wanted to be out here in the first place. Immediately, they begin acting like slaves because they say, wouldn't it be better for us to be slaves than to be out here? Right? Why? Because in their heart, they're still kind of okay with slavery. In their heart, they still see themselves as slaves. They see their masters coming for them. And they respond to their masters in the same way they've always responded, with fear and trembling and obedience. And so that's the first thing. That's what I want to talk to us about, is what, what, what you see. If you follow Jesus for more than five minutes, he will lead you on some detours. And God will lead you into even some obstacles. And those obstacles at first won't be a big deal. But those obstacles will give enough time for your enemy to catch up to you. <laughs> and as you stand at the obstacle, something else will begin to rise up inside of you. Something else will begin to come back from your past. And if you're not careful, you might say, well, I guess I'm not even saved. Because this, I guess I, I might as well be back in Egypt because this thing is... Is, is now rising up, is coming back. This attitude is returning. This habit is coming back. This way of thinking is still here. I still struggle with this. I still deal with that. I still wrestle with this. And, I got, and if you're there today, I got some good news for you. Um, you're, not, you're not crazy. You are someone who has received the cup of salvation and God is now wanting to do a deeper work in your life. And that deeper work is a work of deliverance. Deliverance is not just uh, spooky, scary stuff where you lay your hand on somebody's forehead and they fall and froth in the mouth and roll around and you shake them and yell at them and then they, and then, you know, it's not the exorcist. It can be. I mean, I've talked to some people that have been in some mission trips in Africa. It gets a little crazy sometimes. So that is a side of deliverance, authority over the enemy. Usually it's not that dramatic, though, because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, so we don't fight like that. We do all our fighting beforehand. We win the battle beforehand, and then we just simply speak. So there is that. There's that level of, of spiritual authority. And sometimes it is literal demons that get stirred up inside of us. 
that start being activated within our home and noises start happening and weird stuff starts going around us. It's demonic oppression we were talking about before service. There can be demonic oppression for God's people. Sometimes you let stuff in. <laughs> when you were in Egypt, you worshipped other gods, you, you brought other trinkets, you, you, you brought in all the Satanism, really, the satanic. And it opens up the door. And I believe God, God will allow those things to manifest themselves so that he can deal with them. It doesn't mean you need to go back there. It doesn't mean God didn't bring you out of there. It just means that God wants to deal with some things. And so in a way, this cup, the cup of deliverance, is a cup that, you know, most of us, I, I suppose in some way, there's going to be growing levels of deliverance throughout our lives. He's always going to be revealing deeper and deeper things inside of us. But for God's people, and I think for most of us, there is, I believe, a moment to bring us to and, and case by case deal with things that have held us captive. And in this moment, I, I like this story because it's such a beautiful picture of the past roaring back. The past coming back. And that's often what we see. We are focused on that. And so many times we turn around and we try to hyper-analyze and hyper-focus on that issue that's roaring back or that, that attitude or that way of thinking. We try to focus on that. But that's not what God tells the people of Israel to do. Uh, in Romans 7, if we could look at Romans 7, I want to read Romans 7 real quick because I think this is a, sort of a New Testament version of what I'm talking about where uh, he says, Paul says, he says, I find this law at work inside of me that although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. <laughs> Pharaoh is caught up with me. I want to do good. I have, a, I have a better desire than I used to. I'm not in Egypt, but evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Why? Because I've, I've taken of the cup of salvation. But I see another law at work inside of me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin that's at work within me. What a wretched man that I am, he says. You can almost see the, the, the Pharisees. What a wretched man. What, I'm stuck. What, well, why did you even take me out here? What a wretched man. Why did you even save me? If, I'm, if this is still going to be a part, this is still going to rise up inside of me. What a wretched man that I am. Man, should have just stayed in Egypt. Should have just, just stayed where I was. I, at least there I was happy. I've had people actually tell me that. They're like, ever since I started following God, like things have gotten kind of tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose. You know, I just, it was just so much easier back in the day when the devil wasn't worried about me. It was so much easier when I was on my way to hell. <laughs> Imagine that that road is easier. I mean, who'd have thunk? <laughs> you think Satan would make that one tricky, you know? With big warning signs and a bunch of stuff to trip over. No, man, it's, what is it? it's a slippery slope. Is what they, it's a wide way, Jesus, Jesus said. That way is super easy. Everybody's going that way. And, and, and I've had people say, man, it was so much easier back then. And it's true. If you're looking for easy, following God is not for you. Paul says, what a wretched man that I am. And then he asks the real question, not should I go back, but he says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers. It's the cup of deliverance. Thanks be to God who will rescue me. God delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so often what we're focused on is what Paul is talking about here in Romans 7. We're focused on the old man. We're focused on Pharaoh coming back. And that's what we see. We see uh, Pharaoh. We see, we, and, and so to put it in real practical examples, on Friday night we, we listened to um, Chris Hodges talk about this. But uh, you're, you're, you are a three, a triune being. I am a, th a triune being. I have three parts to me, right? I have a body, I have a soul, and I have a spirit. And, 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 and in my body, my body has issues. All of our bodies have issues. Some of us have aging issues. Some of us have uh, diabetes issues. Some of us have weight issues. Some of us have height issues. Some of us have <laughs> bone issues. 
Some of us have intestinal issues. Some of us got strep throat this past week, right? Because our bodies, we, our bodies have issues. Uh, some of us have gotten COVID, different things. Our bodies struggle sometimes. And, and you can be saved and still get strep throat. You can be saved and still get cancer, right? Because it's a body. And, and it's under the burden of sin because it was born into sin. And so your body is always going to want what it wants. It's always going to struggle with things, and it's always going to desire things that are not good for the rest of you. Okay, so your body, if your body had its way, it would just eat itself into oblivion, right? Right now, we're all fasting. Like, if my body had its way, I'd get a whole lot of pizza, a whole lot of espresso. I mean, we'd have like 20 shots of espresso. It would be great. I, my, my, I would probably go into cardiac arrest, but my, my body doesn't care about my soul, right? My soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. My body doesn't care about how I feel. It just wants what it wants, right? So, so I, I will do whatever I want to do, and then I'll regret it later, but it doesn't matter because my body doesn't care about my feelings. My body doesn't care about my soul. My body cares about itself, and so you have to be careful. Even when you're saved, you still have a body, and that body still desires all kinds of things that are not good for it or for your soul or for your spirit. And this is going to continue. God's never going to deliver you or save you to a place where your body is suddenly so holy that it only wants holy things. <laughs> Come to my chambers. We'll talk about holy things. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just want to talk about holy things. Nacho Libre. Your, your body is never just going to... Because even Jesus was tempted because he was in a body. And so all the things a body wants, Jesus experienced those temptations. He never had a body before. But when he became the God-man, he experienced those so that he can have empathy and sympathy with us. So as long as you're on this earth, you're going to have a body. That body's going to have desires. And, and God doesn't want your body to be in charge. Your body's there, but it's just not driving. It's not in the driver's seat, right? But we also have a soul. A soul is my mind, my will, and my emotions. These, this is also good, by the way. God created your body to be good. God created your soul to be good. But sin has messed up both of those. So sin has turned your body into something that is destructive to your soul and to your spirit and turned your soul into something that is destructive to your body. Right? Like, I, I don't care. I'm depressed. I don't care about my body. I'm depressed. So I'm going to put this into my blood. I'm going to snort this. I'm going to breathe in this. I'm going to destroy my body because I, my soul is vexed. My soul is anxious. In your soul, your, your emotions don't care about this. In fact, it will end this. To, in order to end the hurting on the inside. Because the, the, the mind, the will, and the emotions want what they want. They want to feel better. So I'll, so, so, so I'll go get drunk so that I feel better. Never mind what it's doing to your body. Never mind what it's doing to your spirit. The soul doesn't care about the spirit. The soul doesn't care about the body. And once again, God does not want your soul to be in charge. Your soul is there. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, they're all there. And they're good. They're supposed to be good. But man, when they're in charge, they're not good. When they're driving, when Paul is talking about the wretched man that I am, his body is coming up and taking charge. His soul is taking charge. Your emotions can't run your life, man. Your emotions can't direct you and dictate what you do and when you do this and when you do that. You can't just always seek to feel good. Rather, we have on the inside of us a spirit. And this is what Scripture talks about, that, that, that the spirit is supposed to be in charge. The spirit is the part of us that is eternal. The spirit is the part of us that makes us unique among all, all other life forms on earth, right? Like, no other animal is given a spirit. God breathed into humans alone his breath. His breath is my spirit. It is eternal. It'll live forever. This is why it's important that our spirit is in charge. Because, because long after our soul is dead and our body is withered away, our spirit is going to be living with the consequences. 
And so we want our spirit to be in charge. And so what we see oftentimes is our body and our soul. We don't see our spirits. We see our body and we feel our soul. These are the things that are very real to us. And these are the things that are very real to the Israelites. They turned around and they looked at their, the Pharaoh and the armies of Pharaoh coming after them. And that's what they saw. And that's what, that's what generated inside of them so much fear. And so that's what we see. So it's not great. <laughs> but what do we do with what we see? Well, God has a plan for them. If we look back on, on Exodus 14, uh, Moses tells them, Moses answers the people. And he says, do not be afraid. Right? Speak to your emotions. Calm your emotions. Instead, he says, stand firm. That's with your body. Stand firm. Stand in the place where God has planted you. Stand in the identity that, that God has given you. And you will see the cup of deliverance. You will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring to you today. I believe that this was supposed to be the moment where the, where the Israelites realized who they were. I believe this was supposed to be the cup of deliverance. This was it. This was God brought them out, led them. They followed, they followed the cloud, a beautiful master class in following God, coming out of Egypt, all of that. They come up to their very first obstacle, and it's a big one. And God says, wait right here until, the, until their enemies rise up behind them. And they're obviously fearful because they see, they see the enemy. And then they see the obstacle. They can't move. And God now wants to deliver them. And I believe that God will bring us to obstacles that we can't get through and allow an enemy to rise up behind us, allow our past to catch up to us so that he can deliver us from that past once and for all. So what do I mean? Well, uh, you might be a student here. You might be in high school. Uh, you might be in college. Well, if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a student, you're going to come up against some obstacles. You're going to come up against some things. The very first test I ever took, I was homeschooled uh, from the time I was first grade on. Then I went to community college. And I remember the very first test I ever, ever, ever took in community college. My first time being in any, any kind of classroom since I was like, I don't know, eight. And so I'm sitting there. I'm listening to all the lectures, blah, blah. I bought all the books. I read all this stuff. I take my very first test. It was kind of like a couple, few weeks into the semester. And I got a D. <laughs> I wasn't used to getting like anything less than like a A minus. And I was like, I'm a failure. This is never going to work. You know, my whole education was all trash, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm just like, I'm just feeling like such a failure. Why? Because you're going to come up against obstacles. And those obstacles are going to stop you. They're intended by God to stop you long enough for some of those feelings of I'm a failure to rise up inside of you. And so I did what I did with all of my stuff. I brought it to God in prayer. And I said, Lord, I feel like a failure. And I really felt like the Lord began to speak to me about how I wasn't a failure. I was just doing it wrong. <laughs> I said, okay, how do I need to do it? And so I looked back over the test. The test was filled with a whole bunch of questions that were not even in the book. The test was filled with a bunch of stuff the guy had been rambling on about that I thought didn't matter because it wasn't in the book turns out, now this is from a homeschooler. I'm, I'm just homeschool. I don't know nothing. Turns out <laughs> the goal of higher learning is not to learn the stuff that's in the book. It's to listen to a guy or girl ramble for 45 minutes, pick up on what they think is important and regurgitate it back to them in your own words. You all knew that because you grew up in, 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 a, in secular school, right? You went to public school, Christian school, something. You figured that out. Yeah, I was, I was 19 when I first figured that out. And I'm like, why did I waste $1,000 on these ridiculous books? They're heavy. They're in my backpack. So I ended up moving those books and just selling them and loading up my backpack with giant bags of M&Ms. Because... <laughs> way better than books. And I would sit there and I would just open my bag and I would just listen and eat my M&Ms. 
because I'm an audible learner. If I write stuff down, it, I, it goes out of my brain. I'm an audible. So I just, I just, I didn't take any notes. I befriended one girl who always, there was always one girl in every class, sat up front. She always took a lot of notes. I got to be friends with her, right? You know, and uh, I just sat there, listened a little bit, kind of figured out what's real important, went about my day. And then when a test was coming up, I talked to, I don't know, whatever, Michelle or whatever her name is. And like, hey, uh, do you happen to have any notes from the class? Oh, yeah. Do you know about this? Oh, yes. I know all about that. She would give me that. I would stare at the notes literally for about five minutes. And I have a photographic memory. So then it's in my brain. Then I go take the test and I ace the test and it's great. That's a long way of saying that God will often use the obstacle to allow things to rise up that he wants to deal with. And if you're always running from obstacles, if you're always running from obstacles, you'll keep running from Pharaoh. And if you're always running from Pharaoh, you'll never deal with Pharaoh. If you never deal with Pharaoh, you'll always be on the run. And if you're always on the run, you're going to be wore out. <laughs> and you're going to be a Christian who keeps giving up because they keep getting caught by Pharaoh because they don't, allow, they don't allow the obstacle to do its work. So a lot of times when I'm preaching, I preach about marriage because that's one of the biggest obstacles you'll ever face. And I happen to be married, so I have personal experience in this. And many of the church, people in the church are married and, and some of you are not. Some of you are thinking about it. You should think long and hard about it. Just saying. It's a, it's a good thing. It's, it's a good thing, but it's, it's an obstacle sometimes. <laughs> well, mainly, mainly, let's just be real. Your spouse is an obstacle. Let's just be honest. It's not you. It's not you. It's, 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 it's her. Like, that's, that's the... the uh, I better talk to this side. I better talk to this side of the, of, the, of the audience over here. Alan, Alan, Alan. Back me up, man. Back me up, brother. Michelle's not even here. She not, she's all good. Well, see, that's, but that's from my perspective. For all you ladies, it's definitely him. I mean, it is so him. It is obviously. He is just one big, dumb Red Sea blocking you <laughs> back to this side to Alan okay Alan. no what I what what I found <laughs> what I found is that both of us see each other sometimes as an obstacle right because we're trying to get on the same page and if she would just figure it out because I'm on the right page if she just get on the page and, uh, oh yeah, the, the other side, yeah, because ladies, you're always on the right page. You always know exactly what's going on. And, uh, I mean, practically perfect in every way, just like Mary Poppins. And I'll tell you what, if he could just get his act together, stop acting the way he acts, stop saying what he says or not saying stuff, right? And, and, and we see each other sometimes as obstacles, and... What happens is if, you, if, if the first time that you realize that your marriage was God's way of tricking you into holiness, <laughs> it's God's way of, because God directed them to the Red Sea. They were like, hey, how about we go that way? And he's like, eh, nah, let's go this way. He directed them and then he stopped. And he's like, just stop right here. Just wait right here. Like God direct, it was God's plan of tricking them into deliverance. They weren't ready personally to deal with Pharaoh. They weren't going to pull up shovels and axes and stuff and like, ah, liberty or death. Like that's not them. They're not American. They're not the Patriot, you know, Mel Gibson. They're not, they're not like, they're not like going to go out there and fight for their home. They're going to lay down and die. They're going to give up. And God knows that many of us are the exact same way. We're not Mel Gibson. We're not the Patriot. We're not going to charge hell with a water pistol. So often when we see these things rise up and we see this law of sin in our body, we often just give up. We're like, oh man, see, I knew it wasn't real. I knew I hadn't really changed. I knew I'm dealing with stuff. And, it, it, and, and, and so God brings us to a sea. He brings us to a barrier that we can't get through. 
Sometimes that barrier is, is, a, is, is a marriage because that, that, that marriage can be difficult. But if you're always running from one to another, God will keep placing barriers in front of you, trying to get you to deal with the Pharaoh that's chasing you. Sometimes that barrier is great loss. It's grief. Tragedy strikes, and we're stuck. And tragedy brings up stuff that we don't want to be brought up. As we sit in grief, and as we sit in this tragedy, old Pharaoh starts rising up again. And it's so easy to turn around and be like, well, yeah, I guess we need to go back to Egypt. I mean, why did I leave in the first place? Sometimes it's, sometimes it's tragedy. Sometimes it's difficulty within a relationship with which every relationship will face difficulty. Sometimes uh, it's, 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 our own, it, it, it's our own stuff. Sometimes, uh, it, like it, it, but it it's, gets us stuck. And so really, my, my, my warning to you is don't get stuck in the cup of deliverance. Don't get stuck where, where, you, where you receive the cup of salvation, you get out of Egypt, all right, this is great, God brings you before, you know, maybe for a few months or a couple of years, God brings you in front of a barrier, stuff starts rising up, you say, oh man, I guess I'm really not as saved as I thought I was, and so you go right back to Egypt, you live out that life for a while, then you hear another message and you get saved, you come out, like, th- you can get stuck in this, in this cup. You can get stuck, you can get, you, you, you can, you, because there's a barrier and you can't see a way through it. You can't see a way through it. And so my final point is that you need to see, like there, there is what you see, but you also need to see what the sea sees. In Psalm 77, uh, David writes about this moment of them standing before the Red Sea. And Moses encouraging the people, stand firm, God will deliver you. Right? They're freaking out because Pharaoh has come back to, the, to them. And in Psalm 77, it puts it like this in verse 16. It says, when the Red Sea saw you, O God. <laughs> when the Red Sea saw who? <laughs> the Red Sea saw you, O God. Its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The cloud poured down rain and thunder rubbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning were flashing. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. That little cloud that I was talking about. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. When the sea saw you. So that's, so that's what I want to encourage you with. If you're feeling stuck in this cup. It was cool on Friday night. We went through uh, the little teaching from Chris Hodges and uh, uh, one young guy in there uh, started to share and he kind of got embarrassed. But, but afterward, he said that he feels like he's, he's stuck in the cup. And I said, man, that's awesome to be able to admit that. And let's talk what, what's, what's rising up. What's coming across the horizon, right? What, what Pharaoh is coming after you? It's good to acknowledge it, but then to acknowledge where you got stuck. What obstacle brought that up? What situation brought that up? Because I guarantee you, God brought you to the situation to bring you through the situation. And it's actually the situation that's going to deal with Pharaoh. Because if you know the story... The, the, God parts the Red Sea. The children of the people of Israel walk through on dry ground. Pharaoh and his army comes through. They get stuck in the mud. And then God releases the Red Sea and the Red Sea drowns them. So the purpose of the, of the delay is deliverance. God delayed them at the Red Sea in order to deliver them from Pharaoh. And so I believe that's a, that's a pathway for us today. As we are faced in, maybe it's grief that has blocked us, right? It, as we, it, we, we can't run from the grief because right behind us is this Pharaoh coming, rising up inside of us. So what we need to do is we need to see that God has a way through the grief. Same thing with your marriage. Most of us don't need to run from our marriage. Most of us, the marriage isn't the problem. Most of us, the marriage is simply bringing up inside of us stuff and rising up inside of us. We don't like what it brings up, okay? Lean into the marriage. 
Wait, 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 wait. No, no, I need to go back here and deal with this stuff. No, you don't. Because the deliverance is going to come through your obedience to go forward. And it is in the going forward that you're delivered from what is behind. God delivers you by bringing you through this difficulty. Because the sea doesn't see Pharaoh. <laughs> the sea doesn't even see you. <laughs> the sea sees God. Because uh, if, you, if you read through this whole story, you'll find that when, when Moses told the people that, that God, as a pillar of fire, God moved from in front of them and he went around behind them and he blocked Pharaoh. There was this wall of fire between Pharaoh and the people of Israel. And all night they kind of stayed like that. And meanwhile, the storm is brewing, the wind of God is blowing, the sea is, is getting nervous. Why? Because the sea sees God. It's kind of like, like in Lion King where uh, uh, Simba, you know, he gets trapped by the, by, by the hyenas. He goes to where he shouldn't go and he's just a little pibsqueak and, and uh, he, he thinks he's all tough and stuff. And, and uh, the little hyenas, like they, 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 they got him cornered, you know, they're backing him up. He's backing up, up against the rock and like they're, they're going to beat him up. And so he, he lets out a roar, you know, he's Rawr! Remember that? He's like, Rawr! and uh, uh, what does is, what is the one say? Oh, that's cute. Do it again. And uh, do it again. And uh, is that, that, that Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg was the voice of that one? Anyway, uh, he's like, oh, that's cute. Do it again. And because he's so weak, he's so pitiful, he's so pathetic. That's funny. And so he does it again. He's like, Rawr! you know, and they, they're like, oh, yeah, that's funny. They're laughing and they're getting ready to attack him. And then he tries one more time and he's like, Oh, there's this, there's this loud roar that just fills the whole canyon, you know. And they're like, huh? And, and that's when they realize that it's not him that, that, that they're, they should be afraid of. It's his father who's roaring behind him. So, man, I wish that you could see what the sea sees. I wish you could hear the roar of your father behind you. That it is God who works within you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It is God who is doing something inside of me. And so as I face this situation, if it's grief, if it's, if it's a difficulty in my marriage, if it's schoolwork, it is God working inside of me. And he brought me to this in order that he might bring me through this. And this situation is more afraid of the power that is behind me than I am of the situation. Because he that is in me is greater than what is in front of me. And so, so the sea sees God. But the sea also, by the way, if we go back to that passage, he saw God. But also in verse 19, it says your road. Whose road? God's road. Wait a minute, God had a road? Your road was through <laughs> the sea. Not around it, not above it, not beneath it, through it. Well, I, I didn't know there was a road. Your pathway through the mighty waters, huh, a pathway no one knew was there. This is the New Living Translation. I like how it says that, a pathway no one knew was there. It's funny, I, I always thought of the old saying that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Could it be that God actually had a way the whole time? It was just covered up by the sea. You couldn't see it because of the situation. You couldn't see it because of the school, of, of, of the, the D on your test that I got. You couldn't see it because of the argument and continued arguments within your marriage. You couldn't see it because of the grief, the overwhelming flood. You couldn't see it because of the sea, but it doesn't mean it's not there. God's road. God's pathway. He didn't make a pathway. It was already there. It was just covered up by the situation. And so there is actually a road, which is why, when, uh, which we don't have the passage here, but in Exodus 14, when Moses tells the people, stand still, God's going to deliver you, he then turns to God, and God says, tell the people to move forward. Why? Because the pathway is through. Not around, not back, but through. And it's interesting, as you work through it, old Pharaoh can't, can't hang. 
old mentalities can't survive new levels of obedience. Old attitudes can't survive new levels of forgiveness. They just can't. If you're going to go through, you're going to have to let go of some things. Some things are going to get stuck in the mud. Because, see, the people of Israel could walk through because they didn't have chariots. These guys all had chariots. And so, and so these, these, these bad attitudes, these sinful habits, these, these ways of thinking, this doubt, this anxiety, this depression, oftentimes cannot make its way through the situation that God intended to obliterate it. That's why I can't lay out every Red Sea because I don't know every situation because I don't know every Pharaoh. But I know for each and every one of us, we have, we have stops. We have delays. We have blocks. We have Red Seas that God brings us up to. And it is as we walk through that, as we allow God to reveal his way through it. For me, it was M&Ms and, and listening. <laughs> but as we allow God to reveal his way through it, then we start to walk through it. And as we walk through it, Pharaoh gets stuck in the mud. And old ways of dealing with things, old ways of thinking get stuck in the mud. But we have to, we have to go through it. And then the final thing that the sea saw, <laughs> it says, you led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. This is the seesaw God. Man, I wish you could see God fighting for you. Willing you. Empowering you forward. But the sea also saw a pathway that the sea didn't even know was there. There's a road here. Who knew? But then the sea saw a flock. I think this is first time the Bible ever talks about God's people being a flock in terms of in Exodus. I mean, David kind of got that revelation quite a bit in the book of Psalms. But it's interesting that even then David said, no, God's people, all three million confused, hurting, wounded, scared, fearful. That's the flock. It's the flock of sheep. And I believe that this is how they, they got through it. They got through it because they stayed together. They got through it because as a flock, and I guess this is kind of like taking a, uh, a drone, you know, a couple hundred feet and just looking down. Three million fearful, broken people, former slaves, making their way through the mud. Making their way along a huge wall on one side and a huge wall on the other side of water. And I don't know whales and stuff <laughs> making their way through and as they made their way through together they helped each other get through because there were elderly people there there were wounded people there there were people with diseases and issues but they all got through and I believe that that is ultimately how God helps us get through our situations God wants us to get through whatever situation, we, even if it's a, a, a difficult time in marriage, okay? Are you a part of a flock that can help you get through that difficult time in marriage? Or do you have people that will tell you to go back to Egypt? Because notice how the flock just, it, it directs itself. One minute, the flock is saying, we all need to go back, this is crazy. And yet... Because they have a shepherd, Moses, who's in front of them, who says, hey, let's start walking forward. God's going to do something here. And they all choose to believe it. And because they all choose to believe together, anyone's particular doubt is sort of snuffed out by the other's faith. And I think that's what's supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be on our own because on our own, we just get in our head and we, we, we get filled with doubt. But as we become part of a flock with a shepherd, or with multiple shepherds, really, with multiple people, mentors, that we know, hear from God, they're following God, we're following them. 
that's how we get through it. And so shameless plug, we got care groups coming up. That is a part of the flock. Joining us on Sunday morning, sitting here in a chair is lovely. But to really be a part of the flock, you need to be connected in those kinds of relationships where we can't see your doubt here on Sunday. It doesn't come up. We don't hear about Pharaoh. We just hear Pastor Harry talk about the Word of God, which is good. But, man, in those small groups, like on Friday night, one young guy was able to say, hey, I'm stuck in the mud. I'm stuck in cup too. And I was able to talk with him about that. And that's the plan, that we can be stuck in various places, but if we're together, together we will get through. We will pull through. Yeah? Sure. Come on down. This is brave. Uh, this morning as I was walking around the church, and it relates directly to your message, um, I had a vision right back there outside the church. And, you know, you see these movies when Jesus is sitting there talking and the kids are trying to come in and the disciples are saying, no, go away. And I saw God with his arms wide open, and I felt this really warm, loving, receiving environment. It's like his arms were right there, and he's saying, come. And I almost heard, let the little children come to me. And when we talk about deliverance, uh, we're leaving something behind. We're leaving fear, anger, bitterness, people sometimes. There's stuff that we're leaving behind, and that's scary. And it's, uh, sometimes it's very sad. I mean, I've had to leave sin behind that I was sad about. And as I look forward, I realize, and we didn't talk, you haven't talked about it, but God is standing there and he's saying, come, come to me. I'm there. As you step out of that, you're coming to me and I'm receiving you. And I felt something that was really weird to me. I felt gratitude. And first I thought it was me. I'm supposed to feel gratitude. That's what I'm supposed to pray for today, right? But no, it was God's gratitude that I was obedient, that we were obedient, and we're willing to step forward to him and leave behind. That's awesome. And yeah, let's, so let's do that. Um, Stepping forward, like we talked about Friday night, sometimes just attending a, a care group can be that, that act of like, well, I don't know everybody, so it's a little scary. That act right there is a, is a humbling of yourself. It's a stepping away from something that's comfortable and into something uncomfortable. And God rewards that. And so um, yeah, just as, a, as an altar call today, I do have a slide um, about care groups and uh, we have care groups that are going to be starting here soon and so I want to give you an opportunity to sign up for care groups today um, I don't know where they are or how many we will have um, but if you text the word care to that number right there um, that'll give you a chance to we at least know that you want to be a part of one and we will keep you updated they'll be starting in February um, the first week, I believe, in February. And so we'll, they'll give you a chance to <clears throat> get updated on that. We'll give you um, addresses and, and places and all that kind of thing. And also, if you feel like God's calling you to uh, lead or even co-lead um, a care group uh, or host it at your home, if you would just text <clears throat> the word leader to that number as well, um, that'll let us know that you're interested in that and we'll reach out to you. Uh, I really believe that this cup of deliverance is something God wants us to experience together. God wants us to walk in together. God wants us to help each other with. Um, because, man, I, you, you see the people of Israel, and it was as a flock that they walked through the Red Sea. And I believe that that was a unifying moment, and it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a moment where they... They wanted to do one thing, but they put faith in God. And so as a unit, they, they, they together walked through the Red Sea. And I believe that God wants us to walk with you in 2023. Um, and so if you've been just coming to church and uh, just having surface relationships, um, now might be the time to step up and, 
and get a little bit closer and uh, really as close as you want in a care group. It's where you experience care. So whatever you need, whatever you're willing to share, um, that's perfect and that's exactly what is needed. Um, but that's all that, that, that God uh, has for us is that we would be together and experience this cup of deliverance together. So Father, we come to you in Jesus' name just as we close out today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for deliverance that you're taking all of us through. May we lean into the obstacle. May we lean into the difficulty and see your power at work inside of us. We thank you for the promise of deliverance. He said, I will. Not us, not we will, but you will. Your power, your strength. You will deliver us. You will deal with every Pharaoh in our lives. And so help us, Lord. We have people who are standing in front of Red Seas and maybe been there for a while. Give them wisdom as to which step to take. Help them to join in community so that others can pour into them. And also give them wisdom. There's safety in a number of counselors, is what Scripture says. So, Lord, together, may we lock arm in arm through our Red Seas and watch Pharaoh fall. In Jesus' name, amen.